Welcome to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Careview. Every week, a guest and I will be discussing an album that we both fucking love. We're going to find out how the record or band entered our lives. We're going to do some track-by-track observations and, of course, any other thoughts that come our way. Warning, these are conversations held by adults, and sometimes bad words will appear unedited. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Today we are serving up Blood Money, the 13th studio album from Tom Waits. It was produced by Tom and his wife Kathleen Brennan and released on May 7th, 2002 on the Anti label. It contains songs written for the play Wojciech by George Bushner. Bellowing into the other mic today is fellow stand-up comedian Kiro Nushev. Tell the people about yourself, Kiro. Hi, Derek. Thanks for having me. First, let me compliment you. I love the concept of your podcast, this nostalgia-producing idea. It's working well with me. If I break down in tears in any moment of time, please edit it out, okay? Sure, no problem. <laughs> Got it. Uh, so my name is Kiro Nushev. I'm, a, as you mentioned, fellow stand-up comedian, currently living in Prague, but I'm originally from Macedonia. First time I heard this album, I was in Skopje, so this will come out later in the, in the story. There is, uh, there is a strange attitude that I have towards this album, love and hate, but I will, I will explain on that. That's me. Thank you very much for uh, joining the show. We do appreciate it. So the first thing we uh, typically talk about here is I talk about how this album entered my life. Now, Tom Waits was somebody I was familiar with. I had heard of without ever actually hearing for a long time. I think he's one of those types of artists. I know people who are even into music for a long time just never quite get around to Tom. He doesn't have any big commercial hits, you know, this kind of thing. The first album I remember listening to was The Black Rider which came out when I was working in college radio. And so we got a promo copy and I took it home and listened to it, but I just didn't quite get it. And a few years later, I was working at an independent record store and Tom Waits came up in conversation. Of course, we were in a bar, which is the best place to talk about Tom Waits. And my coworker swore by his first record, Closing Time. But that was the only record he liked by Tom Waits. (laughs) I picked it up and that was a very, very different Tom. I like it, but it's more like, I don't know, Warren Zevon or Jackson Brown or other people Uh, from what they used to call the uh, Mellow Mafia. It's great. It's a great record, but it's not what he would become. I was still working at the store, so it was easy to pick up various albums that came in I could just listen to. And then the one that made everything click was The Black Rider, strangely enough, all those years later. By the time Blood Money came out, I was on the Tom Waits train. And so I went and I I picked it up along with Alice, which were were both released on the same day. So I picked them both up the day they came out. Initially, I liked Alice more, but over time, this one overtook it. Uh, I don't always say this is my favorite Tom Waits album, but it feels like if I'm in a Tom Waits mood, this is probably the one I'm reaching for first. So Kira, tell me, how did this album enter your life? I'm going to go back a little just to explain the whole context. Now, you being close to the to the heartland, you know, American and everything, uh, this thing comes, I'm guessing, naturally, me being far away from that. Everything Tom Waits related entered weirdly in my life. You mentioned the whole thing about Black Rider, not understanding. So everything was either way too early or way too fast. And technically, if we objectively talk about Tom Waits, the whole opus, the whole thing here, everything that he ever created can be explained by this 
weird fog of weirdness. I mean, let me get, go back a little. Now, uh, the first thing I ever heard for Tom Waits was Big Time. I didn't hear the album. I actually watched the concert. And this, was, this happened to be like early 90s. I was still in high school and like me and two of my buddies wandered into this like art slash gallery slash cafe bar to try to score some beer. Before you judge everything, let me explain. This is Macedonia in the 90s. I don't know how much you follow the local city. Like Yugoslavia just dissolved. Uh, like uh, we were in the we were on the brink of this thing that was called like transition towards democracy, which was technically the most shameless money grab that can happen in any country. I mean, things that Macedonian economy to this day still suffers. Before we turn this podcast into daily or something like that, so let's stay away from that. Trying to illustrate the point: scoring a beer, not being carded in a bar. Not a big deal in Macedonia. I'm not going to say it was like era of lawlessness, but eh, 15, 16 year old kids enjoying beer in a bar. We are in the bar watching this, watching the Tom Waits concert, part of some kind of weird interpretive dance performance. And two of my buddies glued to the girl who is dancing, me glued to the screen. <laughs> I have to explain something like this is me before, you know, uh, kind of uh, being able to acknowledge everything. Like at this point in time, just, I'm just acknowledging Tom Waits' strangeness, you know, the whole thing with the, you should Called the concert, there was like bathtub scenes, uh, him bellowing at the mic, different mic. Like at one point, there is like snippets between the between the songs. Uh, he's singing into the lamp, and it was weird. That's the only thing I can acknowledge at this point of time, just the strangeness. But there is that magneticism. Like I cannot stop thinking about this album. I did not know. I did not have the context that was intertwining that first thing that I saw because you know I don't didn't know what vaudeville was. I did not know what is a cabaret like at this point of time i did not know that like fine line between what is music what is musical performance like to me and mind you i grew up in the 80s hands down the worst era for music and cinema that, that can be i'm talking about the commercial side of people who disagree there are good stuff in the 80s i know some of them most of the things are dominated by mtv that kind of like a commercial side of mtv maybe we should explain for the younger audience mtv m stood for music at that point of time music television <laughs> something else today so that's that's kind of that uh, vibe that i got from that album so it got stuck in my head it's my some subconscious but you know after that there was a lot of uh, different albums like the first time that i kind of like maybe it was uh, i got hung up to this album i was i was coming back to this one for many times everything became a little bit clear with blue valentine which is more mellow which is more that's my go-to album actually when i'm in a positive mood but when i need to challenge myself because for blood money when it showed up this story kind of repeated of itself kind of like the moment when the album came out me personally knew everything that was tom Waits related i was aware of everything like nighthawks and diner was like a go-to album blue valentine swordfish tone like all those like they're different Tom Waits is for different kind of mood. Like you want his rockiness in one album. You want something that goes directly back to the blues. You want something against Trench equally where you go to real gone. So, you know, I knew about it. But this one, I was not in a particular point of my life when I could acknowledge that kind of heaviness of this album. There is a slight chance that, I mean, it was digging through my memory. Was this the case? Did I really? Because my first impulse was that took this album, I listened to it. Nope, I returned it back. I tabled it. There is a slight chance that I uh, seriously listened to Real Gone, which is four years later, I think, three years later. And then I came back to Blood Money and consecutively Alice. Let's say after, I, you know, that whole thing about dealing with stuff that uh, this album is talking about kind of happened parallel in my life. Acknowledging that not everything can be handed off 
nicely and softly to you. You have to kind of struggle to get into something. So this is the sudden for me. And whenever I get to that kind of like moment of where Tom Waits I knew and I love that melodic, that like lyrical, etc. can be stripped down to bare bones to, you know, some songs just the rhythm is there like you you see the silo you hear the xylophone in the background but it's pounding of something there is like angst that goes with this album i keep returning to this album when i want to go there to be challenged by him i would say it's one of my favorite album but just by this kind of uh, challenges that it presents to listen to it i like it but it's it's bitter album <laughs> you gotta i'm not saying that tom waits is like other albums or something that are lively you know? There is a melody behind it. Blue Valentine is a sad album. There are some pop tunes of that one. Uh, or if you go to Nighthawk's The Diner, okay, it deals with the heavy subjects of heart loss, heartbreak, mundanity of life. Uh, there are the jokes between the songs. There is that fluffiness of Tom Waits that are. This one strips everything down to solid reality and telling things that are straight from his heart. That's how I felt it. That's my relationship towards this album. I like this background that you give because one of the things that I do appreciate about Tom Waits is that he isn't easy, that it does take a little bit of work to figure Tom out, that you have such a backstory with this one. I'm glad that you signed up to talk about this album with me. From here, we're going to move on and talk about different types of openers. Narrowed it down to four different types. Uh, the first one is the call to action. There's the teaser, uh, then there's the setup, and then there's the blueprint. So those are the four that I, I've been taking a look at. Brings us to the opening track, song one, side one, Misery is the river of the world. And for me, this is a blueprint opener. This shows you a lot of what you're going to hear in this album. It's obviously Tom's got, like you mentioned before, he's got different voices. He's got different moods. There is no one Tom Waits sound, but if you're going to open up an album, this album, this song is a pretty good one to do that with because it is very much a Tom Waits song. It has that odd instrumentation. I mean, it doesn't necessarily sound weird, but you probably can't point out every instrument that's being used here. Yeah, exactly. So it's just got that almost circusy, something weirds going on. And he's got that barking rhythm, but there's no real percussion. There's like just a hint of it. It's not really his most broken glass and rusty nails voice, but almost. It's pretty close. Lyrically, it really sets the tone for the rest of this album. While it does have a few moments where it's a little bit brighter, this whole album, as you kind of alluded to in your intro, is is all about how everyone and everything is shit. Exactly. And this really opens it up. I think this is a fantastic song one that really just grabs your attention at the beginning. What do you think? What's your opinion on Misery? I agree with most of it. Uh, this is exactly like a good announcement of the song. And I got even the, that vibe kind of st struck me the same, in the same manner. Like this is like a circus barker trying to announce something to the world. This is exactly Tom is in front of uh, the old dilapidated circus and announcing the whole procession that is about to come out of that one. This song would be <laughs> when I was listening to it, listening to it, taking notes about it, re-listening to recently and taking notes about it I jokefully wrote oh yeah this is a hit based, based on that kind of thing I mean I don't know if we can say for anything using anything that Tom Waits ever produced to use that kind of like uh, <laughs> that label music industry kind of thing yeah I hear a hit here but no this is exactly there purely announce the intention of this album there is something that is beyond that one this is uh, my as I mentioned my first experience with this album was this song I was like nope I was not ready for this I remember the moment when I kind of break, broke through with this album when it started being listenable to me, actually this song had a hint of optimism in it. 
I, I hear this song not as a, that kind of like announcement to what's, what's going to happen, but as a warning what could happen. There is that kind of like angle that the way he's singing it, it is very <laughs> yeah, uplifting. Hints that kind of optimism, if possible. I hadn't really heard that myself, but I see exactly what you're saying with that. Our next song here, we go to Everything Goes to Hell. What's your thoughts on this song? Yeah, the, the, this song is continuance of, uh, of Misery is the River of the World. That's where was the next thing that's going to happen. Everything is going to hell, as I mentioned before. This song, this whole set list actually has a prog rock approach to kind of, I'm trying not to use the word concept album because everything is a concept album for him. Produces through that kind of musical background because this is an operetta and this has to have that kind of like a plot behind it. And yeah, this one is continuance of that one. With the, again, with that whole gloominess, the whole thing that throws me off that is fact that it starts very sweet and melodic, kind of like a calypso music to, to some point. And then there is that like the influence of what we, there is this uh, tone of the sax playing, usually with saxophone and there is that kind of like a back and forth in another instrument like I'm going to go into that kind of like musical nerdy territory. But this one is communicating with himself. There's the tone there. And it's almost schizophrenic to a point where, where the song goes. But I'm saying there are different layers to this one. And uh, I really like this one. I mean, it's continuous with the previous one. If the previous one hinted optimism, this one is not. I'm not going to leave any disillusion about how this one goes. It's right there for you in the title. So like you said, unlike the other one where it could almost be seen as a warning, this one is more of that inevitable everything is bad and everything goes to hell. And it does really have a more propulsive tempo, so it's not necessarily a fast song, but it's a little bit more upbeat than the previous one. And he sings with a different style. So Tom probably has three different voices that he tends to use. And this one I like to think of as, as his sinister vocal style. Yeah, He's telling you bad secrets or he's whispering something to you that is definitely going to get you in trouble. I like when he sings this way as opposed to Misery, which is more of that bark. Yeah, And he's always got the sandpaper and whiskey kind of voice but i like this where he's this is the devil talking to you right exactly and what you mentioned with the uh with the saxophone it really sounds like something that could be out of a like a late 1970s thriller this is the where this is the part where like the dirty cop and the criminal meet for the first time it's just got that vibe tom waits does a great job of setting a mood and whatever mood he wants that to be and i think this one's supposed to be just just a little bit on the sinister side i'm, I'm guessing we're gonna come to this conclusion at the end regardless Regardless of how you're going to pinpoint uh, Tom Waits, which is nearly impossible, he's a storyteller, musical storyteller, 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 like the, everything that he sets up, like the background, it's literally his own world. Me and you independently having our notes, dilapidated circus, you mentioned circus for the first time, that's not our choice. The, the fact that that's where my mind went, and I'm guessing your mind, this is premeditated it's not coincidence that's what he wanted to to achieve with this song that's his genius he's good at world building yeah which brings us to track three coney island baby and one of the things that tom waits is known for is that he actually almost every album uh, even later in his career when he spent a lot of time being noisy he has room for what are legitimately sweet ballads and this is one of them i really think this song could have been about a minute or so shorter i think it because it just basically repeats the first thing three three four times it's a pretty song he's still he's still kind of barking at you but it's a it's a sweet song what do you think about coney island baby yeah it's a it's a love song obviously but there is that like he sings it like a lullaby like uh, uh, disarming like uh, either putting you to sleep or putting you in the mood or whatever it, whatever the purpose of this song is but it keeps coming to me that kind of like there is a lullaby tone to it 
like the whole melody, the whole... I read somewhere it's a tribute to his wife, apparently. I don't know the whole lore behind that uh, relationship. I don't have context for Coney Island, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. But it is specifically located and it's, it's obviously it's a specifically purpose song. It, I, like, I love this one. I mean, too long. Ah, who can tell? <laughs> it's, it, it's just enough. So track four, All the World is Green. What do you think about this one? Yeah, yeah, this is the dance tune of the album. <laughs> yeah, the, the, this is the rhythmical one actually. When you come back to the to the whole attributing something, but this one, I can you know you can hear yourself that kind of like dance to it, but <laughs> if you can say that, but it's a, a good, great song. This is the song that hooked me to this album. Same ah. thing with you. That we I bought Alice and, and Blood Money on the same day, and I had mainly spent time listening to to Alice, and I had listened to this all the way through. A few things I like. I didn't really notice this song the first one or two times that I heard it. It kind of just blended in. And then I saw him play on David Letterman or, or something, and he played this song. And it was like, whoa, okay, now I get it. And went right back into this album. It's odd. It's got that beautiful instrumentation it's got the sweeter vocals well you know grading on a scale for tom waits anyway yeah this is a gorgeous song and really i think uh, a highlight on already a fantastic album i just like how this is uh, a lot of the things that you like about tom waits and also a lot of the things people don't like about tom waits are not on here you know he's not bellowing at you through a megaphone or something and he's not pretending to be sweet and not really not being sweet it's just beautifully done beautifully rendered and and this is one of my all-time favorites mm, yeah I agree. and then we pop into uh, the next song is to track five god's way on business and now the sweetness goes away <laughs> yeah, exactly now for me this is the song that kind of rounded up the miseries around the world and this is the one that hooked me but for god's way on business i think i found out what is the appeal for this song this this song for me has that kind of like vibe that uh, dragged me back to night uh, on earth uh, jim jarmusch's movie uh, tom waits uh, is the co-author or it, maybe it's his soundtrack full i have to double check this one that one i mean uh, i don't know if you have this problem but i cannot delineate what i like was it the movie that came first or the album that came first and that whole thing that but there is that like that whole cluster i have an obvious obvious appreciation for it and this one is kind of that sound that vibe that intense story like a you know drunken sailor preacher on a corner that this is the parky song this is the one that he delivers everything that is the gloom and doom of this album what is uh, what is about to go down with this album so this is the one that hooked me up i jumped into this one just to counterpoint your like if number four was for you number five did it for me and i can see that and really i think the the juxtaposition of those two is great because i think you get really almost the entire world of tom waits in those two songs so going from all the world is green to god's way of business you really see everything that he does uh that he does well these two songs i think are almost like a primer for tom waits it's mm. like tom Waits 101 right here. It's great. And one of my favorite things about this, I used to play this song for one of my classes <laughs> because there was a, have you seen the, the video where they have Cookie Monster from Sesame Street uh, singing the song? No, but I'm going to see it's, it. It's fantastic because if you're familiar with Cookie Monster, yeah. Cookie Monster sounds a little bit like Tom Waits. <laughs> so they uh, somebody put together this mashup of the two and, and it makes me laugh. I love it. Noted. I'm, I'm, I'm Googling this at the moment when <laughs> finish recording. <laughs> yeah, I love that kind of like uh, the, the thing why I'm laughing this much on this one is not only that Cookie Monster... But 
the, the reference for the Cookie Monsters. But yeah, even when you hear the title of this song, Good Tom Waits is back. Like, yeah. uh, again, he's cynical with his lyrics. The whimsy is there. Like, yeah, where is this going? Yeah, God's away on business. That's a Tom Waits joke, you know? You know, that's something that I was expecting for you. I'm, I'm going to sound like bitter that, and not for unforgiving to him, but Nighthawk is a diner type of cynicism. You know, that's that's what I need. Uh, my bass player is chained up somewhere. Like, that's between the song, you know? Yeah. How, how I love how this is a phrase, everything goes to hell, is just a kind of a set phrase. But God, yeah. God's away on business is a Tom Waits phrase. <laughs> Exactly. I do love that. And this is him at his most rough and ragged vocals. And it's great. I was doing a lesson on mashups or talking about how this read-write culture. I played a clip from Tom Waits uh, that you actually, the video that you talked about where he's got the bathtub in the background and he's slamming the the mic stand into the stage and singing into a, a megaphone. And then I played uh, C is for cookie. <laughs> and then I showed those two things together and it was like the, the audience, it, my, my students who maybe didn't grow up with Sesame Street like I did, but it was... Uh... It was good stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Totally understand that concept because <laughs> that's how our brain works. If we don't associate something with it, but yeah, these things that uh, th- this is another discussion. We're gonna go on tangents. I mean, I should have warned you. Make long story longer is my monograph. <laughs> <in Prague>, so <laughs> we're gonna go on a tangent. But that's how our brains work. If we don't associate something, but what fascinates me with the story that you're telling me is that actually there are some things that transcend. A couple of middle-aged men thinking about Tom Waits, talking about Tom Waits. Like the question is will the next guys appreciate Tom Waits like that's the thing that worries me but obviously what I hear here yeah he's not exactly evergreen the thing with Tom Waits is because he never had he's never been in the culture long enough to for people to be sick of him it's not like oh that guy again yeah true he keeps going he's not a nostalgia act he's not putting out records just so he has a an excuse to tour like the Rolling Stones. Exactly. Yeah. When he's got something and it's great. His last album, Bad As Me, is fantastic. Yeah. I love that record and could have easily talked about that one on this show and may in the future. But that said, we're going to go ahead and move on to the next track, Another Man's Vine. I think this one, once again, he has a bit of that sinister sound, that sinister voice that he uses. My only thing with this one is I think it starts great, but then it, it just plods a little bit. I wish it had just a little more oomph to it. But again, uh, you know, withering on another man's vine is such a Tom Waits visual. <laughs> exactly. I mentioned that I have that problem of kind of like breaking down these tracks because let's say if we separate the first five, everything further down the, this playlist plays to that purpose of some plot that, you know, we never watch. I never watch Wojciech. I mean, I know the plot, I know the story, but that like uh, failure to fully deliver as the first five tracks, you, I, I hear it like further below. I enjoy it. I'm not, you know, downplaying anything, but they're kind of intertwined. They go, there is no like discernible line between them. It's, uh, they have simple stories. Every, we're going to go through every single one of them. But this one again, yeah, needs to go. It's it's pushing things f- forward. I know nothing about the story. I've never really, I mean, I know some of the basics just from listening to the record, but I, I go and I think of this as, as a Tom Waits album as opposed to yeah. the music for Wojcik. Sometimes when it gets that kind of, all right, we're moving the plot. I think that's why this song doesn't do a lot for me while I still like it. 
still like the song, it's serving a different purpose than what I need. Uh, which, of course, then brings us to the next track, Knife Chase, which is an instrumental, not always a whole lot to say. I do think this has some spunk to it. You know, it's got that heavy beat and it goes. I'm always a little bit torn on instrumentals. Sometimes they're nicer than others, I guess, but I'm not a huge fan in general. But I like this one. I like Knife Chase. I like the name. <laughs> and I, it reminds me of something out of a spy movie. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I'm going to issue another nerd alert as a guitar player. This one is particularly fascinating to me just as a composition uh-huh. because that uh, dance that I'm not sure who's the guitar player on this one. I, Mark Ripot is not on this one. He's on the next one. I mean, uh, the Mark Ripot name just to illustrate that he always works with guitar geniuses. Mm-hmm. For this one, that kind of like dance that they're doing between disharmonious and dissonance and back to the melodic and vice versa. This one, this this is a school example for that that type of thing. Like it's plinky, it's kind of moving away from the melody, but then it's melodic and it's kind of like harmonizing. That's something I don't know how to be learned. That's what I said. Nerd alert. Big quotation marks. (laughs) That's the fascination that they have with this song. It's literally dance on three levels. One, if you go deep into the music, is where is this going? Is it this disharmonious as it is but then he will kind of go back to like he will he will play at a scale and the scale will bring you back to the normal melody and then again to the plunky and this one yeah i need to talk about with someone who knows much more about music theory about this song and explain it to me <laughs> you're asking the exact wrong person because i know nothing about that yeah I thought about one point of maybe taking guitar lessons not because i wanted to learn how to play guitar but so I could describe music better. Yeah. So I'm always a little a little envious of people who have actually taken the time and energy to, to learn yeah, how to play. It sounds pretentious, and so I know how it sounds, but as, as I mentioned, I'm not that deep into it, but uh, I, I bear this kind of, I, I carry this kind of innate fascination with this approach particularly. So that's why I throw it out there. This song I'm recommending to everybody who wants to find that quintessential to get deep into that consensual discussion about Tom Waits, is he melodic or not? Is he lyrical or more this more rough at the edges? This is the song that kind of will play with your mind. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day somebody listening to this will write in and, and tell us their thoughts on that. Oh yeah, I would greatly appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> now you had mentioned uh, earlier about Coney Island Baby sounding like a lullaby, and now we have a song yeah. called Lullaby. Yeah, that one is. And this is his most gentle vocal performance on the record, yeah. but also the most Tom Waitsian lullaby you could ever think of. And we don't really talk a lot about lyrics here, but I want to read one section of lyrics just so you know, this is a song called Lullaby. It's written like a lullaby with the idea of putting a child to sleep. Uh, sun is red. Moon is cracked. Daddy's never coming back. <laughs> Nothing's ever yours to keep. Close your eyes. Go to sleep. <laughs> I love that. That's so, that is just so Tom Waits right there. But can you blame him? Isn't this a good lesson, actually? It's a great lesson. The, about the, I mean, I would not teach my son this early, this lesson. But at one point of time, he will have to acknowledge and learn. He cannot keep everything. Let's say like this. It's a good lullaby for grown-up children mm-hmm. like me and you. Let's, I'm, point, I'm projecting myself onto you. But <laughs> let's say like that. For for adult children, it's a good lullaby. Like, let it go, buddy. Let it go. <laughs> so you're, you're saying I shouldn't sing this one to my five-year-old, is what you're saying. Probably stop, because I think there are laws against. That, but 
not an expert, but however. <laughs> Duly noted. Thank you. So now uh, we move from a sweet, not so sweet lullaby to back to some more amped up, starving in the belly of a whale. What do you think? We're going full biblical on this one. Yeah. yeah. The, the lyric, actually, the, the title actually is leading me to that. Like, this is the way he plays with it. I don't know. Uh, discussing religion within Tom Waits songs, I think it's a blasphemy on its own. There's the lyrical impulse that you get from this song. It's a, it's a good tune. I, I like it. And it's, it's okay. It's like it isn't in the line with everything that is in, that they're presenting on this album. See, I, I like this one mainly because I love Leonard Cohen. And Leonard Cohen often gets religious on you. Whereas Tom Waits yeah. rarely ever gets religious on you. But when yeah. he does, it's a little bit funny because what I love about this is, you know, I know next to nothing about religion. In the, you're in the belly of a whale. You were obviously talking about Jonah. Jonah was saved by God. But what's going on here in this album? Number one, God's away on business. So number two, he's starving in the belly of a whale. There's no one there to help him. Like if the one time he's going to talk about religion, <laughs> he's going to talk about how, yeah, you're fucked. He, he has that, like I mentioned it before, that uh, aura of a preacher on a soapbox on a street corner that is selling God to people. I don't know. Yeah, this one, I was reminded about this song. Uh, again, Tangent. The last Coen Brothers movie, the Netflix one. Uh, Tom Waits has a, a small role in one of the, it's an omnibus movie, like, like five or six movies uh, put in into one mm -hmm. and he's this uh, wild west prospector and Tom, Tom Waits at his best I mean the whole movie is decent is nice but I particularly like the part with him that moment of kind of uh, being left alone in the middle of nowhere prospecting for gold this is where his kind of pension and allowance to speak religion to you even in what I'm saying Tom Waits can persuade you in everything that he wants to do that he's religious yes he's not religious also to he can get into any role that he wants to agreed next song up here is the part you throw away this is a song i haven't quite figured out i don't think it's necessarily that complicated or deep i just haven't i guess looked into it enough but man i love this song i love this song it's just and a lot of the things that that i like about what tom waits does it's one of those i think i revisit it because the lyrics are just vague enough that it doesn't tell you right away oh this song is about this or it's about that there's just a little bit of lyrical ambiguity and sometimes that annoys me about a song and sometimes it's what draws me to a song because it's something like an itch that my brain can't quite scratch and it's the <laughs> second one for me here what do you think about this one it's a good song i like it the, the, um, now you're, you're pointing in a different direction yeah the lyrics of this one yeah decent song let's stay with that <laughs> <laughs> Okay, reaching the final stretch here. So we have a really short song called Woe. So it's short, it's pretty sweet. It bleeds into the next song, which is uh, another instrumental. What do you think about Woe? It's a good, it's a dance song. Small, short, but yeah, the lyric, where am I, who am I? Uh, uh, it's one of those kind of like, uh, you got to read it to get to, to a point where you're acknowledging what he wants to say. I like this one. The opening and the whole uh, vibe of this song, this is the whole album. You live your life alone in pain. This is how this song ends. Because it's called Woe, which is obviously something that's not what you're looking for. You you don't want woe in your life. But it still comes across as being a little bit sweet. But then it bleeds fairly well into the next song, which is called Calliope or Calliope. Calliope, yeah. It's not quite as sweet. So at the beginning, it's like, oh, okay. And then it's like, it's got that, once again, circus-like quality that seems intentionally off-putting. I mean, it's not quite scary, but it's not exactly something you want to listen to right before you go to bed. Yeah, 
for me, this song is a that kind of like good point circus, but one step further. This is <laughs> this is a horror movie condensed into melody. It takes you places. It starts very kind of like uh, two genres in the film, in film and in writing are very kind of prone to 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 work in a bit. That would be comedy and horror. Technically, there is a rhythm to both uh, things. If you can, like, you know, stretch out the drama, stretch out this song in that beat, that kind of that it returns. The whole story starts on one place, takes you to another place. That kind of like if I see the somebody write down, I'm pr- pretty sure that you're gonna find that the, the sections work like that. But it's very tight, like a horror movie. Put that one behind you a little bit. And that brings us up to the uh, final track on the album, A Good Man is Hard to Find. What are your thoughts here? I say this with a very big reserve, the optimistic, rather optimistic message behind this whole album. Yeah, this song is uh, positivity that is intertwined in the whole thing, but again, not no, it doesn't leave the whole gloominess of things, but... There is something that I find it. I would re-listen to this one. Like it's not a, it's not that tense uh, and negative like the rest of the album. To me, this alludes to the whole context that this is a song with a purpose. It's finishing the story, and it does have that. This is the last song quality to it. It's playing you out. It has that feel. It's being sung from a woman's perspective, mm. but Tom doesn't try to soften his voice at all. So it's like watching Doctor Girlfriend from the Venture Brothers, <laughs> exactly with the man's voice. So he's still. He's still very much Tom Waits, even though this song is is a woman singing. It's jazzy and it's funny and sad. A lot of uh, like gambling metaphors in it. It has to talk about you know only what is it? Only strangers sleep in my bed. It's somebody who's living their life, but they're not necessarily living their best life. But they seem okay with it. Yeah, a good man's hard to find, but it's I think kind of unspoken. The twist is the old Mae West twist, you know. But a, a hard man is good to find. A hard is a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He never says that here, but I feel like that's unspoken. <laughs> this ends the album. It plays you out. It feels like the natural place for this to go so this and alice and a few other ones that you've done are based for our music for plays and so it does have that almost you know, cinematics probably not the right word to say it, but like that quality of uh of storytelling even if you don't know what the story is it has that the feel to it just gonna go out here on the final thoughts that there's a lot of tom waits out there that i like and depending on the mood like you had said at the beginning, there's a Tom Waits for all seasons. Well, one of my favorite things right before Christmas, I love to listen to a Christmas card from a hooker in Minneapolis. And just before New Year's Eve, there's a, a, he's got a song called New Year's Eve. And you know, when you're when you're in the mood to fight, there's a Tom Waits song. When you're in the mood to fuck, there's a Tom Waits song. And there's a lot to like about this album, but it, it's not a pretty album, even though it has a couple of pretty songs. Yeah. It does really focus on the dark quite a bit, and that's okay. And I think he. Well, he's just, he's a national treasure, this guy. True, true. I agree with that. (laughs) He's a national treasure. And I think that he's appreciated as one. And that's something, you know, usually the story, he's a national treasure, usually has that kind of like apostrophe behind it. But in the time he lived, he was blah, blah, blah. Everybody appreciates Tom Waits. Kiro, thank you so very much for joining me on this discussion of Tom Waits' Blood Money. We do appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Thank you very much. And We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record, now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please subscribe, share, and comment. For this and other podcasts, please check out www.lovethisrecord.com, where you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. If you would like to co-host an episode, write to me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. 
Instagram and Twitter, we are Love This Record 1. Facebook and Pinterest, we are Love This Record. Music at the top and bottom by The Ashes of Grissom. Special thanks to original patron Mark Evers for getting this podcast back on track. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.